As believers, we often find ourselves mired in despair, confounded by defeat in the realm of keeping our attitudes, language, responses, and interactions within the grace and peace of God. We too frequently fall abysmally short of the demeanor, love, and peace we seek to manifest. We may feel besieged by our own emotions, carried away by the force of feelings that seem to bypass our will and plunge us into a maelstrom of regrettable fears, frets, actions, and reactions. Yet are we indeed at the mercy of our emotions? Are we nothing more than leaves tossed about by emotional tempests, stirred up by uncontrollable circumstances or the whims of other people? These trials invite a deeper question. Is there no season of triumph to draw from in our past? A time to look back on when we were not ensnared by the emotional strings pulled by external puppet masters? For most Christians, we can recall seasons, periods, maybe days, weeks, even months, where we stood firm and resisted the call of impulses embodying instead the virtues of humility, grace, and peace. This is important because if we have ever walked in victory over our emotions, that proves we are capable of turning that season into a habit, a lifestyle, a permanent abiding victory. Our question must then develop from why do I keep failing to how can I maintain the grace I know is possible? We often find ourselves clinging more desperately and effectively to God's strength in the wake of our failures amidst acute awareness of our faults. Yet, ironically, we subconsciously treat this profound dependence on Jesus as a temporary punishment, an inconvenient layover on our journey back to self-reliance. When we remain humble, we receive grace, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, as stated in James 4.6. Yet because we perceive humility at the level necessary to elicit grace as an imposition, we cast it off as soon as possible. But the grace securing permanent victory is a living organism, like a garden requiring constant tending. To believe we can thrive within it by treating humility as a transitory affliction is to misunderstand the very nature of grace. Humility is not an unwelcome guest to be hurried out the door, but a constant companion guiding us to grace. To fall from humility is effortless. It asks nothing of us but complacency. To say, I did not choose this, it merely happened, is no excuse because neglect is the very sin we're guilty of when caught amidst emotional storms that cause us to transgress our commitments. But grace demands our engagement a relentless battle fought through the daily disciplines of prayer, study, and personal contemplation. 
Think about it. During those seasons when you avoided the tempests, were you not pondering, meditating on the word of God? Were you not more focused in setting your daily course? Were you not praying more, reading the scripture, edifying your spiritual man to strengthen him, to stand firm? We submit to various daily routines, all of us do, such as bathing, applying deodorant, brushing our teeth, and grooming. We rigidly adhere to these daily disciplines without exception, not because we enjoy them, but because we cannot contemplate the consequences of their neglect. We know we'll stink if we don't wash. We know we'll look repulsive if we neglect grooming, but we foolishly imagine our spiritual man will remain vibrant and in good form despite prolonged neglect. But as Paul says, everyone who competes in the games must go into strict training. Entropy is a persistent force constantly at work to unravel beauty, cleanliness, order, grace, and life itself. For, as Paul says in Romans 8.20, the creation is subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. To maintain the majesty of God's gracious work in our life against this tide of chaos, daily discipline empowered by grace is required to hold entropy at bay. Regarding our spiritual well-being, we want one-time fixes. We want God to supernaturally touch us and resolve the struggle forever. We don't want to fight the good fight. We don't want to persevere in the face of trial. We don't want to remain steadfast in resisting sin, even to the shedding of our blood. We are cheap opportunists, unwilling to pay one gram over what we deem absolutely necessary. Like misers, we hoard our resources, investing the bare minimum in our pursuit of holiness. Yet in doing so, we misconstrue the nature of God's grace, confusing it with an excuse to avoid the labor of nurturing and cultivating righteousness. This misconception is driven by the insidious notion of cheap grace, which foolishly implies that God's grace, because it is gifted, exempts us from being responsible keepers of our spiritual growth as, quote, good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer warned, quote, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. Such an error is akin to a child believing that because a puppy was gifted to him, no further feeding, shelter, or care is required. This would only be true of a doll, of an inanimate option. This is a naive and perilous presumption when it comes to living organisms. But it's no different from believers assuming that their victory, gifted by God's grace, needs no further care or development on their part. 
our restless flesh reasons through the bias of impatience to make the daily disciplines of prayer, scripture study, and meditation seem arduous, excessive, unnecessary, or even diminishing to God's grace. What lazy thinking hogwash. Scripture abundantly destroys this foolish thinking. Quote, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness. Second Peter 1, 5. Scripture cautions lest we, quote, neglect so great of salvation, Hebrews 2, 3, and warns, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, Hebrews 12, 15. Scripture says, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you, 1 Timothy 4.16. Scripture alerts us, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall, 1 Corinthians 10.12. And it goads us to give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away, Hebrews 2.1. And Jesus tells us that it is through our patience that we will possess our souls. Luke 21, 19. When broken and disgusted with our flesh, we move out of the apathy of pride in our human strength and climb onto the firm rock of humility, grace, and God's provision. But we drift. We slide downhill with no effort back into the neglectful boat of indifference. And for a while, we sleep peacefully in Satan's motionless vessel as it lingers near the rock to make us believe we're not backsliding, not adopting a doomed course away from grace. Days pass in the boat while we neglect prayer, meditation on God's word and our commitments and the study of his word that brings life. Then, just as we have grown used to the habit of neglect, we imagine that neglecting the disciplines doesn't actually harm us. We feel secure. Satan allows us to languish motionless for a while in the boat of spiritual complacency so we perceive no immediate cause and effect. He doesn't want us to see how neglecting daily prayer and Bible reading leads to backsliding. He wants us to feel confident in our proud self-assurance, silently boasting that our secure soul no longer requires such desperate diligence as at first. Like Samson, we become accustomed to Delilah's lap and convince ourselves that we can play with lost consecration without losing our strength. Then, just as we have grown used to the habit of neglect in the boat of apathy, the winds kick up, the waves rise, emotions explode, and the devil hits the throttle in the boat. We are dumbfounded, shocked that we are so easily carried away from the hope of our calling and our firm confidence. However, our sin did not start in the moment of crisis. It was a sin of omission 
a neglect when we failed to live as if the righteous would scarcely be saved, deploying all spiritual weapons and daily disciplines to remain anchored on the rock. Our sin was when we let our mind lose its vigilance, when we let ourselves relax and act as if we were no longer at war. The wild storm of current emotions is not the cause of some conscious choice immediately preceding it. It is the result of sliding from the rock to sleep in the devil's boat for many calm nights before the storm arose. My beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, now work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2.12 Scripture warns us against the peril of neglect and the silent decay of unguarded complacency. To disregard the need for diligent maintenance of our faith is to commit a sin of omission as damning as any act of transgression. As James says in the fourth chapter, to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Neglect is a subtle form of pride, an insidious assumption that we can subsist without divine substance. In conclusion, our spiritual journey is not one of passive receipt, but active participation. Our victory is in daily keeping our attitude, our mind in a warlike posture, committed, equipped, resolved, prepared. It demands our full attention, our unyielding effort, and a continuous return to the practices that keep our faith vibrant. We are called to a life of constant growth where every act of care for our soul's garden is an act of defiance against the entropy of sin and a testament to the living hope that anchors us. Let us, therefore, press on, as Hebrews 6, 1 says, always mindful of the eternal work before us, ever casting our eyes to the grace that not only saves, but also sustains and sanctifies, preserves and empowers us to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. Ephesians 4, 1.